Welcome to the Medical School Research Podcast. In today's episode, we will be talking to Mike Lateau. Mike is an M4 at Stritch School of Medicine and spent his last four years conducting research in the nexus of data informatics and surgical oncology. Mike has also published more than 14 research items as seen on ResearchGate. Before we start the episode, I want to note that Mike's audio becomes significantly better after the six-minute mark. With that said, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Yeah, my name is Mike Lateau. Um, I went to DePaul University, D-E-P-A-U-W. It's a small D3 liberal arts school in Greencastle, Indiana. Okay. Um, what did you major in? I got a dual Bachelor of Arts in Biology and Biochemistry. Okay. And um, did you take any gap years before medical school? I did take one gap year. Um, being kind of in rural Indiana, there wasn't a ton of clinical opportunities there. So I uh, I was a scribe in the emergency department in uh, the north suburbs of Chicago for one year before medical school. Okay. And are you interested in any particular field of, of medicine? Yeah, I'm going to be applying for a general surgery residency in the next month or so. Um, looking to do both clinical and academic work, and then I think probably a fellowship in acute care trauma. Okay, and what, what got you interested in general surgery, particularly academics? I've kind of always been interested in surgery. I don't have one like particular story where I knew I wanted to be a surgeon. It's kind of always been a calling. And then after doing my clinical rotations in my third year, um, I just loved the OR. Uh, so despite the long hours and the grind associated with general surgery, I think that's kind of where I belong. Academically, I've always kind of been interested in computers and technology. Um, and I really am interested in big data and kind of all the data we're gathering now around the world on all sorts of different kinds of topics. Um, so I kind of wanted to see how we could apply that to medicine, particularly surgery. So this, this podcast is, is focused on helping current and prospective medical students explore research. So I want to focus on, on those aspects uh, in your academic journey. So were you involved in research before starting medical school? I was. I have a little bit of an interesting research journey. Um, when I was in high school, I got uh, set up working as like a tech and like janitorial assistant in this physiology lab at University of Illinois in Chicago. I was like making buffer solutions, cleaning glass, sometimes helping out with experiments, but not too much. Um, and then when I went to college, I actually did some field research um, on freshwater ecology. We were out in Indiana, um, in rivers, streams, that sort of thing, sampling uh, local insect populations. And then after that, I had a little bit more involved role in a basic science lab doing um, some cell culture for cancer cell lines, looking at uh, metastasis and the epithelial and the cyclical transition and sort of some of the uh, signaling mechanisms and protein expression changes that happen there. Um, and then in medical school, I got involved in more directly clinical research that I think we will talk about a little bit more here. Um, so I'm curious, did that, did your previous experiences in research prepare you at all for your your current uh, medical school research? Yeah, I would say so. Um, the topic is done a little bit different and there's some of the like experiments, so to speak, that we do are different, but the process is still the same as far as, you know, looking at what's out there in the literature, coming up with a question that you want to answer and then, um, you know, running some experiments, getting some data, putting together an abstract poster, publication, whatever it might be uh, to get your findings out there. So although the, the content's a little different, the process is still largely the same. And so some of the writing skills you develop there too are also still applicable. 
So now transitioning into your medical school experience, how did you get started? And when did you get started? I got started pretty early my first year. Um, I was fortunate enough. I know there's a lot out there in medical school, but I came in knowing um, what kind of research I wanted to do and what I kind of wanted my research career to look like in medical school. So it was just a matter of finding someone at my institution who um, had similar interests and similar projects. So I attended a couple of the uh, departmental grand rounds in the Department of Surgery. And that's where I met Dr. Baker. He was giving a talk on um, outcomes after surgery in cirrhotic patients. And that uh, the, the, te the techniques he was using were basically exactly what I wanted to be learning how to do and using in my research career. So after the talk, I wanted to introduce myself. Bothering me an email a few times before he finally let me come to the lab meeting. Um, and that kind of went from there. What skills, if any, did you did you need to be productive in Dr. Baker's lab? I think the most important are kind of like soft skills, like not directly research related, but uh, very self driven. You know, to kind of get involved, um, get some projects my own started, so that he could see that I was interested and you know dedicated to this. Um, obviously, the, the PIs are busy folks; and they have multiple projects going. So, for a first year to ask them to kind of start up something new, they don't always have time. But if you get yourself going and um, kind of show that you're interested and committed to the project. We usually make time for you. Uh, hard research skills-wise, I had to learn how to do some coding in R to run some different statistical analysis on our data sets. Also, um, like writing and present uh, public speaking skills to um, you know, publish our findings, which those I didn't, I wasn't very strong initially, but uh, I kind of developed as I go along. I want to talk about coding for a little bit more. I think coding is something that allows students to be very productive in research, but it is very intimidating for, for people without coding experience uh, to try to learn, um, especially to learn it in medical school. So did you have any experience prior to medical school with coding? And can you kind of tell us your experience of, of learning how to code and, and gaining that skill for Dr. Baker's lab? Yeah, so I, I would say I didn't have any formal training in coding or computer informatics necessarily coming into medical school. Like I said, it's kind of always something that's interested me. So I played around with like some free uh, Java uh, online tutorials through high school, a little bit of undergrad, never anything formal. Um, some of my college classes had me do some more advanced things in Excel that I would say are analogous to coding as far as. Um, some of kind of the logic puzzles that are involved. Um, but a lot of it, you know, I took the initiative on my own time. And as a first year, um, there's a lot of great online resources out there now that if you're motivated, like I said, and interested, you can, I guess, make the time to take advantage of those resources and kind of teach yourself. And then there's no better teacher than actually getting, you know, your hands dirty with some data, figuring out what works and what doesn't. So I think it's just, um, Taking the plunge can be a little bit intimidating, but if it's something that interests you once you can do it, it's definitely a worthwhile endeavor. How long would you say it takes to learn the necessary skills to do basic work in uh, data science, data science related projects? Yeah, I mean, everyone learns at a different pace um, and kind of has different experiences and a different knowledge set coming in. 
But I would say it doesn't take more than a month or two if you do, you know, an hour or two every day or every two days um, on some of the online tutorials. Um, working maybe, yeah, like five to ten hours a week. And in, in about a month or two, you can kind of get yourself up to speed where you can start to do some things with data, like real uh, patient data, um, to then kind of figure out and develop more as far as getting actual, you know, publishable results. Okay. Uh, could you explain what projects you're currently working on? Yeah, right now I'm, I'm kind of consulting on a couple different projects in our lab using National Cancer Database data, um, but I'm not currently kind of running any of those projects as my own. Um, I've lately been pretty heavily invested in using some VA data, which is kind of a new sort of endeavor for our group. Um, the VA has a ton of patient data stored in SQL um, databases. So that's been new language for me. Um, I'm kind of getting up to speed now on SQL and sort of building our cohort from there. Um, and then we're also looking at using some natural language processing capabilities um, to go through some of the radiology and pathology reports they have stored in the SQL database so that we can um, kind of extract more information from those that's not otherwise available from pretty much any other source that I'm aware of. So that's been my big focus is this VA project on um, hepatocellular carcinoma um, using SQL and natural language processing. And then we're going to take, uh, once we get our data out of the SQL database, we're going to take it back to R and run some of our more traditional analyses. On ResearchGate, it shows that you're an author of 14 published research items. I'm curious, what types of research are most of those items uh, involved in? So is it you know, retrospective chart reviews? Is it these database uh, studies, basic science work? The vast majority of those are retrospective large database studies. I think from a medical student perspective, if you're interested in being productive, that is, I think, maybe the most efficient way to go about starting if you're willing to put the time investment in to learn how to code. Um, if you're talking about doing a chart review, that involves, you know, a lot of man hours as far as combing through individual uh, charts. You're probably not going to get the sample size. You really want to get um, a lot of national, regional attention. Um, and it is kind of tedious combing through those charts and identifying the same set of variables over and over again. Whereas with these data sets, all the data extraction is done by professionals. It's all de-identified, so the IRB process is relatively straightforward. Um, and the data is already out there. It's just up to you to analyze it using, you know, the skills you kind of learn um, in some analytics software. I've not done any prospective um, work. I feel like those projects also take a lot of investment as far as patient recruitment and identifying patients to uh, recruit. You need to go into the clinic, consent patients, then finally start gathering data, which you might not have for a couple months or a couple years. Same thing with like the basic sciences. When I was working in the cell culture lab, you know, we were growing cell culture lines for months to run enough experiments to finally get something that's publishable. Um, it just takes a lot more time and investment on your end to actually get some data. Whereas with these retrospective database studies, all the data already exists. It's just you using your skills to translate it into something that other people can interpret. You're touching on the topic of time, which is very salient for medical students because we only have four years, realistically, less than four years to get productive research uh, on our application for residency. So I'm curious, how fast can you finish a project now? 
it, it all depends on the kind of project you're talking about. Um, for like an NCDB project, I could have like a publishable abstract out in a, less than a week if I sit down and really, you know, dedicate a couple days to it. Just because I'm pretty familiar with the NCDB, I know where all the variables are stored, what they look like, what kind of pitfalls to look out for, um, what's going to be the most, I mean, just, I just know what's the most efficient way to handle that data and how it's stored. Um, but right now, this project I'm working on at the VA, we've been working on for almost a year now. Um, and I haven't even done a single analysis yet. Um, the learning curve has been pretty steep just as far as getting familiar with SQL. It's in a new language for me. Getting familiar with the uh, VA data storage systems, you know, where they keep variables I'm interested in, how they code the variables I'm interested in. And there's the whole natural language processing aspect too, which is also brand new for me. But that's kind of where I see, like, when I was a first and second year student, I was interested in being as productive as possible and kind of cranking out projects. But now that I'm um, older and further along in my journey, I don't necessarily see as much value in me flipping over a bunch of NCDB projects as fast as I can. I'd rather um, diversify my skill set a little bit, learn some new things and things that I think will also be just as useful once I learn them, but maybe don't have such an immediate uh, material return on investment. So while participating in so many research projects throughout your career as a medical student, was there any significant opportunity cost for you to dedicate so much time specifically to research? Certainly. Um, like anything you do, like you said, time is uh, one of the most precious resources any of us have, and choosing how to spend it can be really, really difficult. I liken, I've, I've heard the analogy that medical school is like drinking out of a fire hose, you know? There's so many opportunities coming at you that it can be intimidating, overwhelming to kind of choose where you want to focus your energy. And for me, that dedicating so much time to research has definitely led me to neglect some other uh, aspects of my medical education, I'll say. Um, I don't do as much volunteering as some of my classmates. I'm not as involved in like extra clinical time as some of my classmates. Um, that's not to say I don't do well in the clinic. But I'm not, you know, spending time on the weekend, spending time after hours shadowing. Um, and I think that's just up to each individual to decide what they want their medical education to look like, where they envision their career going, um, to choose then how to prioritize their time and what they want to dedicate their energy towards, which can be intimidating for a first year student who maybe doesn't know those things right away. But I would recommend to somebody who's not really sure where they want to go trying a little bit of everything. And then it truly is up to you to decide what interests you the most. It's a little bit of a difficult change in mindset. You know, we're all used to undergrad where you're kind of being told you need to do X, Y, and Z to build a strong medical school application. You need to check these four or five boxes, whatever it is. But in medical school, I've kind of taken the, a different my approach where you know now you're more an adult learner you're treated a lot more independently get a lot more latitude to do what you want to do and it truly is about making you know your education yours and taking the direction you want to take that you think will be most beneficial for your interests and what you want to do in your career so for me that means more time in research and more time spent you know learning these data science skills and less time seeing patients in the clinic because i want to have more of an academic focus in my life so a common question I get from a lot of medical students who know they want to pursue research is, should I wait to go into research when I know uh, what specialty I'm going to apply into? So even if it takes two years uh, to figure out you want to go into a certain specialty, 
some students wonder if they should wait those two years uh, just so they go into research in that particular specialty, or should they pursue research early on uh, before they know what specialty they want to go into? So for a medical student that has these questions, what would you say? I would say getting involved earlier is always better, even if it's not directly in the specialty you want. Um, a lot of the skills translate. If you're doing data science work, you know, those skills can apply to any field. Same thing goes for like students who want to do perspective research, they want to do basic science research. Um, you can translate a lot of those skills, you know, to any field of medicine. And it's going to be one, not only helpful for your time management and your like, you know, stats on your application as far as productivity metrics, um, but also for them, if you approach a PI as an older student and say, hey, I've already done X, Y, and Z in this department, but now I think I'm more interested in your field. Can I join with you? They're going to be a lot more agreeable taking you on, having seen your track record and that you do have some background already, as opposed to somebody who's trying to pick it up brand new from, you know, the ground floor as an older student, that's going to be much more challenging and they're going to be much more pressured, you know, to kind of get uh, projects turned around. Whereas if on your application, you know, your first two years, you've got research in unrelated fields, but then you maybe only do one or two projects in the specialty you end up applying for. I think the, the residency program directors are going to see that. And actually that might be a positive thing on your application because they're going to see that, you know, you did get involved and you did something you wanted to do, but maybe now what field you wanted to do it in. And then as you kind of matured as a student and as a person, um, you kind of focused your interest and then got involved in the field you wanted to eventually go into. Um, and so I think it just kind of helps, you know, your, your story and put, to, like, put together your application with, you know, a nice story and kind of how you got to be interested in the stuff you're interested in. An aspect of research that is not talked about enough is mentorship. We understand that mentorship is important in research and academics in general. So how has mentorship played a role in your research? Uh, mentorship has been huge in my research, honestly. Um, my research mentor, Dr. Baker, you first mentioned a few times, he is my number one mentor at medical school, and I would not be nearly as successful as I am right now without his influence and input. I found him, like I said, I knew what kind of research I was interested in. Um, so I found someone at my institution who was doing that kind of research. And so we kind of got set up that way. Um, and I was very fortunate that, you know, he was somebody who was interested in mentoring medical students. And, you know, he is a great mentor for us. Um, I'll say if you're having a hard time finding a mentor, I would talk to older students who have similar interests and see who they work with. Um, there was a student working with Dr. Baker's group a year older than me. So he had some great insight as far as, you know, how Dr. Baker kind of worked with students and what sort of attitude and, uh, approaches he had and you know how he likes to run his meetings and how much time he would give to you to talk about your research and your future so i think this, the student community can be very helpful in that regard as well you talk to students with similar interests and see who they have had positive or negative experience with they can be pretty valuable because there are a lot of uh, faculty members and some of them are better mentors than others and some of them are worse mentors some of them are more interested in mentoring and some of them are less interested in mentoring so it can be difficult to kind of uh, identify who you want to kind of be your guide through the journey. Um, but I think identifying your interests and then looking at faculty members in that field and talking to students who have kind of worked with some of those faculty members to see who they think would be, you know, the best suited and 
dedicate the most time to you. And for the medical student who's listening to this and is inspired by the type of work you do, but knows that they don't have the skill set of coding and possibly the time to learn that, what other skills do you think they can learn uh, that would allow them to be productive? Well, like I said, I think some of the soft skills, like coding is like a very technical kind of hard skill, I refer to it as. Um, but there are plenty of soft skills that you can utilize um, in other areas of research if coding isn't your thing. Like uh, writing is always huge. If you can, if you show yourself to be a good writer, you can get in and edit manuscripts. You can do some um, review topics. You can write up case series of interesting clinical cases. Um, all of those, you know, are pretty writing intensive. And they're always looking for good writers to help in those areas. If you have good time management skills and can work around a flexible schedule, something like the basic sciences might be more for you. Um, you know, they need p people to come in on random hours on the weekends and change some cell culture media. They got to feed the mice and the animal studies. So if you're willing to be flexible and kind of kind of manage your time that way, that might be a good fit. Other things always looking for, you know, just dedicated, interested students. They can always find a place for you. A good mentor will always be able to find a place for you. It's all about, as you get older, you kind of hear the surgeons talk about like re uh, resource management and asset management. Um, so a, a good mentor will kind of identify that you're interested and motivated and then find kind of the best way to plug in your skills, the skills you have to, you know, get the best and most productive outcome for the whole team. Is there any other advice you have for people listening? I think the, the biggest takeaway is um, something I touched on earlier. Um, it's really, really hard coming to medical school because you're used to being told sort of what to do and what you need to do to be a good applicant. But in medical school, the, the world is kind of your oyster and you have to kind of change gears and think about, okay, now I'm studying and learning for myself and for me, not necessarily, I don't try to look at it as I'm doing something for my residency application. I'm studying and training for my career and for my future patients. And so what do I think is the best thing for me to be doing to help those patients and not necessarily just to pad my resume, my application. Um, so that's a, that's a difficult change in mindset from some of for a lot of us who are kind of, like I said, used to being told what we need to do for, to get to the next step. But it is huge in your development if you can kind of switch gears in your mind like that and think about what interests you and why do you want to learn certain things. And I think once you make that step, one, it's a lot less stressful because now you're, and you're engaged and motivated for a different reason. You're engaged and motivated because it's something that's actually interesting to you. Um, and it also kind of reduces a lot of stress as far as applying for the next step. And which is residency for a lot of us, because, you know, yes, these things are important for your residency application and they will go on there, but that's not why I'm doing it. You know, I'm doing it for something I enjoy and I think will help my patients and help me in my career. And the fact that it goes on the residency application is just a bonus. It sounds like you do plan on pursuing research and residency. I'm curious, do you, do you plan on pursuing research after residency and what, what type of research are you planning uh, to pursue? Yeah, I'd like to keep doing a lot of the same research I'm doing now, just, you know, using large data sets, data analytics to kind of predict outcomes. Um, I think you can answer a lot of interesting questions that way. I know that we always talk like uh, trials are the gold standard. There's a lot of trials that aren't really feasible, especially me as someone who's interested in working with the trauma population. I think right now, a lot of the data structures around the trauma population aren't very organized and aren't very accessible. And that's a population, like I said, where a randomized controlled trial on a trauma patient coming in, level one trauma, who's 
you know, teetering on the brink. That's not a great patient to enroll in a clinical trial. Um, so I think we can, we can improve our kind of data structures there. I'd really like to get involved in some of the trauma outcomes projects, you know, looking retrospectively at trauma patients and seeing how we can deliver them the best care. And what is your ultimate, what is the ultimate impact you want to have with your research? And do you think you're close to achieving that? I think the ultimate impact is like, you know, how to deliver patients the best quality care. I kind of touched on briefly in my last answer, um, but we always want to do what's in the best interest of the patient, or at least if, um, you know, it's maybe kind of a gray area, give the patient the best available information so they can kind of decide as they're going through their treatment, what they want to do and have done to them. So that's my ultimate goal, you know, to deliver the best care to patients. And trials are the gold standard and obviously give us a lot of higher level information. But like I said, there's a lot of cases and examples where a trial just isn't feasible. Um, and so there's a lot of like retrospective single institution studies with low numbers of patients that I don't think give you a great picture. Um, so my goal is to kind of use these larger data sets to answer some of these questions that trials have struggled to answer. Do I think I'm close to achieving that? I think I already have achieved that in some instances. You know, I think every paper you write, every paper you publish does serve to improve the care that patients get for those specific diseases in those specific instances. Most of my research has been focused on surgical oncology. I don't love cancer all that much, but there's a lot of readily available data on the topic. So I think for me going forward, I like I said, I like to kind of translate some of the skills I've learned to the trauma population, which like, like I said, you know, this, the skills you learn coding can be transferred to any field, just what data you have available. So I think I'd like to, you know, transfer my skills to the trauma population. And if, uh, you know, the data structure and data organization continues to be a, a hurdle in that area, um, potentially I could see myself going into, you know, more leadership administrative side to um, formalize those data reporting structures and make the data more accessible for the next generation of students and surgeons. Well, th that's all great, Mike. And I, I think a lot of people interested in data informatics, but may not know where to start, will find this episode very helpful. So thank you so much for your time and best of luck with uh, the residency application process. Yeah, thanks, James. And uh, best of luck to you as well as you continue your research journey. I look forward to seeing where you go.